0: Here we go, here we go. Here we go, fold your hands, close your eyes, fall back to sleep, life's beautiful. Almighty and everlasting God, who gives us gifts abundantly and daily forgives all our sins, give us your Holy Spirit that we may inscribe the mercy of your will upon our hearts and that we may willingly live in forgiveness toward all around us, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so far, this is a good class is going great. Perfect score. You remember last week, I gave you my business card and said, send me a selfie. Nobody did it, so congratulations. Zero for the class. So now I've upgraded. You see Philip right back there? I put a bounty on you. He gets a buck for every picture he sends me with your name, but you have to include kids, right? If you don't have the, like Johan. Oh, Johan's not there, so you're going to have to scramble for this. Now, he says I'm into him for 11 bucks already. So that means some of you are desperately compliant. Thank you very much. But, you know, Pastor Nelson was here a little bit. Pastor Kendall's not coming until later for a wedding. So we want to try to learn your names and your kids' names. I promise you we won't publish them. But um, it's just for us in-house. So Philip is your guy. Uh, He's also available for advice on small altcoins. And the direction of oil, so he's a good—he's good to go. That guy—that's the guy you want. Okay. Thank you very much. Go have a donut or something like that. So some of you were here last week. Some of you weren't. That's okay. I know you're going to be busy. You know, we kind of go a long time because we know that you're up and down, and you have lots of responsibilities. And I've done this—you um, know—Sunday afternoons, and weekday evenings, and Saturday during the day, and before. And so. It doesn't matter when we do it, you're busy, Uh, you have a lot of commitments, but you know, we at least want to get together, because this is a remarkably good place. I said to you last week, this is the church I always wanted to belong to, and uh, people here are fabulous, and things pretty much pull on the same end of the rope, and I have great colleagues, and um, it's just a very nice place to be, but the key to that has been... You know, every last person who's joined this congregation for, I don't know, I've been here 25 years or something like that now, however however long I've been here, um, every last person has gone through this, from the chairman of the theology department at Concordia University to people who have never heard of the baby Jesus. What happens is, is that if you've showed up here today, I'm not too concerned about your salvation, in most cases, I mean, you may have some frights or there may be things to think about, but... Uh, as you know, there's a thousand places to go to church, and this is a very particular way to proceed. So uh, the reason for that is, the reason for what we do, what we do, and everything here has a reason, right down to the tile on the floor in the, you know, in the, in, in the sanctuary. Everything we do have a reason, has a reason, and, you know, what we're trying to do, actually, is create heaven on earth. There's, I'll give you a little Wall Street Journal article about how The Russians became Orthodox, right? So, I mean, there may be a little bit of legend in this, but, you know, take the point for what it's worth. Uh, We're trying to create this experience where you will come into a life that is really, really odd. I gave you a little piece from the Didache, which is a very, very early instruction manual on how Christians should act and pastors should lead and congregations should uh, conduct themselves. So it's this sheet that says, it it just looks like this, If if you have it in front of you, right? Just this is a classic way of talking. There are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And, you know, we actually think about that. There's two ways. There's the way of life and the way of death. And what we're trying to do is pull you into the way of life The way of life is you'll love the Lord your God who made you and love your neighbor as yourself, Uh, that you'd bless those who curse you, you'd pray for your enemies, that you'd fast for those who persecute you. I'm guessing that's probably out of your ken. I doubt that any of us here probably fasted on behalf of somebody who's hurt us, right, for their repentance. And uh, that you don't have any enemies. Look at this, just about six lines from the bottom. But love those who hate you, and you shall not have any enemies. And this is a critical thing at a time when the world is very, very angry, and everybody is identifying their enemies, even in the church. Right? So this is a very critical thing. Jesus has no enemies, so I have no enemies. If you follow Jesus, you have no enemies. As the scriptures say, we fight against powers and principalities. So you don't have any enemies. There's not a person in this room who is your enemy. There's not a person on your street. Just think about America right now. It's engaged in identifying enemies and destroying them, right? So the church in a way is this refreshing alternative to the way that the world is doing its business. And that of course was true in the early church. And so we often rely on, you know, what the earlier church did for guidance. We're much more like the early church than we've been probably in 1500, 1600 years. So, anyway, the point of all that is, you're coming to a particular thing, uh, where heaven comes to earth. And we do all the things we do for a reason. The primary reason is that it'll make you a really good Christian. If you walk in and touch the water, make the sign of the cross, and kneel down and confess your sins and get forgiven, then you listen, then you speak, you know then we light some things on fire and we play with money and then if you uh, we we make some smoke and mark the territory, why do we do that? Because Jesus likes it. How do we know? Because he gave us the recipe, Exodus 30. So, um, and it's also good against the demons. And, you know, one of the, I used to say this kind of as a, I mean, I always say it when we get to the second commandment, but the fascination with the demonic, every week now I deal with somebody who's Uh, I stayed up late writing an email to somebody who was engaged in very dark things last night. Um, Witchcraft, uh, you see it even in children's books and children's games. I used to say, kind of as a joke, you know, I quit going to Barnes and Nobles. This is true 22 years ago when the section on witchcraft got bigger than the section on theology. But, you know, the the way people sort of toss around with the demonic and darkness, um, you know, so this place is then is the alternative to this. This is light and love and, and um, weakness, not power and coercion and evil. It's extraordinarily important that the world is just divided into two ways. And we can't despair about that. Here's the church to give you the gifts that um, the church is meant to give you. Okay. Now, we always infallibly post the previous lesson almost within 24 hours. The person who does that is fabulous. It's a volunteer uh, she was ill last week, so we didn't, even though I promised it to a couple of people, we didn't get last week's bit up. But, um, and I won't do all of it again, but if you want to listen to it, uh, please do. So you remember last week, this very simple thing. You've got the picture there, right? So the first picture was this, with the very simple notion that we can't fix ourselves, right? So get well soon, you know. If you could get well, you'd get well. Right. Now, on the other side of that, oh, again, I guess I should just, you know, always uh, do a little bit. So you remember we did this notion of uh, the Greek word "nekros," uh, from which we get things like uh, necrophobia, fear of the dead, right? But you remember then that picture is what necros is. People are stiff. They've they're beginning to rot. You know, uh, they smell. That's how. Ephesians 2.1, we sort of went through that. You were necros in your trespasses and sins. And then it ends up by saying, and now you're necros to evil. So you were dead to God, and now you're dead to, to Satan. There are two ways. Choose your poison, right? And then you remember that we did Romans 6. so We did Ephesians 1, and then we did Romans 6, which is, uh, don't you know, if you've been baptized, you're baptized into Christ, and so what happens then, that's, that's uh, the way, right? The first Christians were called those of the way. So what happens is the Lord picks you up, you're dead, and he carries you to another place, the church, the body of Christ, Christ himself, and drops you down. And now you and Christ, and I gave you a little Luther text there, you are cemented to Christ. If it happens to Christ, it happens to you. So it said, Christ dies, you died. Christ was buried, you were buried. Christ was raised, you were raised. Christ lives in glory, you live in glory. Right? Romans 6, that's the other bit. So you're baptized into Christ. And so the, the big feast for that is Easter Vigil. If, you, if it happened to Christ, it happened to you. And that's sort of then where we went last week. Just this basic notion that you can't save yourself, but you can be saved. Now, anybody go to Valpo? Usually somebody. Here's at least something you can be proud of. They sent me this once to have me... Pastor Kendall, good to see you. I thought you already decided for Jesus. But okay, good to see you. That's nice. So, you know... Uh, this... I mean, they sent, Valpo sent me this to, 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 to get money from me. And frankly, if they have this, you know... I'd give them money if they sent me this postcard. Just take a look at this. If you've never been to Valpo, this is... At the bottom, can you see what's there? What do you see? Yeah, there's the baptismal font, Right? And then what's hanging above it? Um, I usually have one ringer who's been developed when seeing this, but uh, Pastor Kendall had a grandchild baptized in this very font. So he said, so, but you can't play. Not for the new car or the trip around the world. You're, you're <laughs> too close. Any, can anybody see what's hanging above there? What's hanging above there? Pastor, can you remember? Is it, is, it, are there, is it little birds or tongues of fire or what's going on there? I haven't been there for years yeah. or... So you have, of course, the Holy Spirit hanging above. Does the water bubble in that font, Pastor? Uh, yeah, it's bubbling up. So in the early church, they said when you get baptized, you should be baptized if you can in living water, in water that's moving, to remind you that the Holy Spirit is there. So you notice the water moves here, right? And then uh, you have this. Uh, I've been to uh, seen baptisms where people stand. You know, the saints stand on that staircase all the way to the top if it's necessary. So you are outside the church, you're necros, you're baptized, and Christ picks you up with the saints and carries you into the church. Isn't that cool? So you can't fix yourself, but you can be fixed. That's the whole point, right? So far, so good, maybe. Questions about that? You've been very docile so far. Don't make me provoke you. It's early, right? So you okay? Everybody really, you're okay? It's always a little frightening, because you know, uh, it's like my mother. She had four boys, she was four foot 11. We would do something on a Saturday. She'd come up behind me and hit me on the back of the head on a Tuesday. I'd be like, what? She's like, remember Saturday? That's how I feel about you right now. You could be sneaking up from behind. Hey, if you have four boys, you understand. Or if you were one of four boys, yeah. So, uh, okay, good. Um, Open a Bible, please, to um, Matthew. uh, Way at the end, 26, right? So... um, So we'll do it, we'll go all the way back to Matthew 26. And this is a text that you know, you've heard this a thousand times. Um, But this is the text where we talk about the words of institution for baptism. Now you have, um, you have uh, heard about words of institution for the Holy Supper. Maybe you're used to that. But words of institution for baptism... Uh, maybe you're not used to that. So, when you were a kid and you had to memorize this, if you had to memorize this, um, what what did you learn? Was the big theme here? Anybody know? What was the what was the primary thing here? You, you kids who went to Lutheran school, come on now. What's the uh, what was the primary thing you wanted to you wanted to do here? Usually, people talk about. You go make disciples, right? That's usually how people talk, but um, that's not how uh, the text actually goes. Uh, so uh, let's say, let's take a look at this, and we'll kind of walk through it. Here we go. Um, the eleven disciples. Have you got it? Has somebody got, what's the page number? Sorry. Can you say the, uh, Yeah, sorry. I got a yes. I can. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. What's the page number? 28. Did I say 26? No wonder everybody's looking at me like I'm a dork. Usually you don't have to look at me like I'm... Usually it just it happens naturally, right? So it's okay. Sorry, Matthew 28. That's a, hey, hey, when you, hey, when you get older, Jody... So, sort of listen to this, right? Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So you should be sort of clued in. Moses goes up the mountain to meet God. Jesus goes up the mountain in transfiguration to meet uh, Moses and Elijah. When you sort of go up a mountain, something big is happening, and it usually is closer to the divine, right? So um, they, the 11 disciples, so they went to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's kind of normal church fare, right? Every week there's people who are feeling it, and every week there are people who are just completely broken. So, so far so good, nothing strange there. And Jesus came and said to them two really important things there. One is, we can't fix ourselves, but Jesus comes to us. So, God always does the verbs in Scripture. The big verbs of salvation... God always does them to us. So last week, Jesus picks us up. This week, Jesus comes to us, and Jesus talks to us. Right? So Jesus is always doing the work and giving it to you as a gift. Uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there, but we'll try to take it apart and for your good, okay? So Jesus says, um, I know i got a bunch of teachers in the crowd, but it's too early to ask any questions about grammar, so it's all going to be okay, right? Uh, this isn't exactly how it should read. Um, the main, the main uh, verb here is... <clears throat> make disciples. And you remember last week I talked to you about how, you know, in a sassy sort of way, we don't need any more members. And I only do that because um, Jesus never talked about making members of anything, Right? Jesus always talked about disciples. Disciples are people who sit at Jesus' feet, listen, and then do what he asks. So, what I mean, I just, what we're looking for from you is a very high commitment, right? Because your life depends on this, and Jesus is everything. And he's at point number one, and you're at best point number three because it's Jesus and then your neighbor and then you. So, Jesus means to make you a disciple, which means he means to press you in his image. He wants to unite you to his cross. He wants to pull you into his way of life. He wants to see you be merciful and generous. Jesus means to change you, right? So when you make a disciple, you actually press people into the image of Jesus himself. And that's what the church is meant to do. So there can't be sort of any low-commitment, uh, hey, I just want to be a member kind of churches. Those things don't exist, and if they do, they're an aberration. Right? This is a question about everything you've got being given to Christ. And that's what happens in your baptism. That's why, you know, Luther preferred to dunk people. He'd like to see them die and come back to life. Right? You're resurrected to a new life. You're a disciple now. You follow Jesus. So go and make disciples. And the interesting thing about this is it's like making a cake. How do you do that? You make a disciple by baptizing and teaching. So that's how you make a disciple. So we had Johann was a recent victim, uh, you know, although he's been banished downstairs with his friends. So, okay, so far so good. You know, you take him to the font He's nekros, and you baptize him. What do you need for a baptism? What do you need? You need water and word, although I want to clarify that. So you need a victim, Johann, and then you need water, plain water, good. And then, um, not just a word, you need a very specific kind of word. What kind of word do you need? Right, what do you need? Yeah, you need the name, And this is wholly underutilized, this notion of a name. In Greek, Pastor Kendall would tell you the word is onoma. It's unbelievably important. And for this reason, when you have the name, you have God. You don't get to see God face to face, right? You don't get to meet him in his full glory. If that happened to you, you'd be destroyed, right? So the first commandment is, I'm God, and the second commandment is, here's my name. And that's this wonderful thing where you can always get a hold of God by using his name. This is why, you know, if your kids drop an F-bomb, that's not that big a deal. This isn't a parenting class. But if they say, oh my God, you should be on pins and needles. And if they say, God damn it, you should be like, call the pastor to bless your house. Because he might. He might. Right? So to take the name of God as if it were nothing is to invoke everything that God is for whatever misdirection you have in mind, right? On the other hand, to take a child and actually put the name of God on that child, that means God owns the child, God lives in the child, God is responsible for the child. God forgives the child. God directs the child. God owns that child. So the very last thing, the first thing we do uh, is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We remember the name that's put on us in baptism. The very last thing we do is put the ironic benediction on. In Numbers 26 it says... He says to Aaron the high priest, you're gonna bless my people. How are you gonna bless them? This is what it says. You take my name and you put it on the person. You physically put it on them. You touch them with it, right? And then we talked last week about how sound is touch at a distance. So when I say, God bless you, a physical thing's actually happening. Um, little molecules are going from my voice box carried by the Holy Spirit and sine waves onto your eardrum and exploding inside you and giving you the best thing that God has to offer so here's how you bless my people say the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you be gracious to you the Lord favor you the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace and then it says thus you bless my people it actually happens when you speak a blessing on someone When you touch them with God's word, it actually happens. So you take God's word and you put it, God's name, and you put it on a person. Now in the early church, the word for this was sacramentum. Sacramentum was a couple of things. One, it was the oath that you took when you joined Caesar's army. It was also sometimes a tattoo that you got. So the church was into inking way before all the cool kids figured it out in the last 30 years. Your sacramentum was your tattoo because when they'd have a battle after the battle and they'd have to sort out the winners and the losers, they would check for the sacramentum for the tattoo. That's how you knew who was what, right? So we take your kid, Johan, and you put the name of Jesus on him and then, you can check me later if you want, but Romans 21, 4, 22, 4. And they shall see his face. Last chapter of scripture. Who's in heaven? Last chapter of scripture. Re- Revelation 22, 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. This is how you're sorted in and out of heaven. People who wear the name of God like a tattoo on their forehead. The name of God is on their forehead. That's how you sort people. So if you wanted, you could look down at the world and there'd be the people who've been tattooed with the name of God in baptism and the people who haven't. Right? This is how the Lord does his business. He loves you, so he puts his name on you. He owns you, he possesses you, he blesses you, he looks out for you, he makes all things good. Make sense? Now, here's the thing. Then, then this... Uh, yeah. So no, I'll go. I'll just. I'll wait for a second. You're nodding along a little too casually right now. I feel like maybe like you're too happy about the bagels and the sprinkled donuts. So you're just kind of playing along. So they'll be here next week. I know, but really. Um, so what you want to do is uh, understand that the name is everything, right? Now look how everything it is. Verse 18. So this is 22:18. Um, 22, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? And then compare that with the last line. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. So this is Matthew 28. This is um, 18 and 20. It may not be apparent to you right off, but when Jesus says heaven and earth, he's talking about space. And when he, talks, when he says to the end of the age, he's talking about time. So what Jesus is saying is, once you are baptized, there's nowhere you can go in space or in time where I'm not with you. So remember last week we talked a little bit how um, Christians can never say nobody loves me, and Christians can never say I'm all alone. At least they can't say that and be right. Because what this means is, if you go up the mountain to meet Moses and Elijah, or you sink into a desperate depression, or, to push all the way, if you go all the way to hell, Jesus was there first, and he'll be there to meet you. So on your worst possible day, when you are destroyed, the one thing that's true is your baptism. That Jesus has put his name on you, he's cemented himself to you, he's tied his fate to yours, and he's there to help. It's a tremendous thing how, how much your baptism means to you. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples baptizing. There's an aorist verb there. Pastor Kendall's checking the Greek. I know he is. It's an aorist participle, is it not? It's an aorist participle, is it not? It means you do it one time. Baptizing. So you do it one time. And then the teaching goes on and on and on. So you baptize once and tomorrow in the creed we'll say one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But then the teaching goes on and on and on and on. How are you doing so far? Are you still okay? You want to play? Questions about any of this? Open rebellion? Yes, Pastor Kendall? <laughs> yeah, go. So, Moses is the burning bush. Right. You know, he asks who a saves and the Lord says, I am. Right. Right. So you're surrounded by protection, right? Uh, yeah, that's it's great. Um, I'm gonna just keep going if you don't rise up. All right. So, um, yeah, go. What about those that fall away after baptism? Um. What about those that fall away after baptism? I'm guessing there's a question behind the question, but I'm going to try to answer it in a couple of directions. One is, so this is really important, the gospel is a gift, and gifts by nature can be rejected. So it's possible to lose this, right? But the Lord in the font fishes with a barbed hook. He really has a grip on things. In fact, you remember the last prayer we say after a baptism? uh, We say, hey, thanks for this. And now that he has become your child, right? So this means you can blame all your poor parenting, me, all my poor parenting, on Jesus, apparently. Because he's in charge. I'm just there kind of cleaning up the mess, right? So the first thing is, of course it can be lost, but it takes a lot to shake a baptism. If, if God is love, and he loves all his children, and he wants all his children home again, which is really the only story in Scripture, um, to shake it, uh, is extraordinarily difficult. After that, um, you and I would never know. So um, I've said to lots of people there in heaven, but I've never said of one person there in hell, because they can't read hearts, right? And of course, the stakes are even higher when people are baptized, because they've got a lot of uh, they got a lot of juice built up in that. Um, nevertheless, if we see signs of things going south. There's a range of things that we can do, starting with praying for people, right? Which is extraordinarily difficult. Um, and we really need to give ourselves to that. And I think you're you know, older and you have kids, and, and one of the things you find out as you're older and you have kids is you spend more time praying for them, right? Because, yeah, every day, and sometimes multiple times a day, because often there's nothing left to do. We don't reconcile ourselves to that very easily because let's face it we live in a community of fixers you're all very talented you're all very smart you're all fixers and then there are a few engineers who are hyper fixers (laughs) let's face it right so can you can people lose their baptism yes can you lose your faith yes um is that our like big news is like identifying people like that and sort of pointing them out and going hard at them. No. What do we do? Love them. Pray for them. Have confidence in what Jesus has done for them. And most of all, keep going, right? Yes, please. And then, in Romans 8, you look it up. Really reference, but in Romans 8, it says nothing else in no all creation is us from Yeah. That's right. There is, um, so the gospel can be refused, right, rejected. Jesus himself in the flesh is the best example of that. Uh, you know, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing, right? This is like, this story isn't ending well. But, um, you know, little safety tip for your life, uh, talk about Jesus. If you talk about yourself, if you talk about your friends, if you talk about your kids, if you talk about your spouse... Things are always going to be wobbly because we're not very good at life. But if you talk about Jesus and his gifts and his love and what he does to folks, so first he puts his name on them and owns them. He fills them up and cements his legacy to theirs. So what happens to Jesus happens to me. You're going to get in a much better place and it'll be much more accurate as well. Anything else? Questions? Yes, please. Is there any like explanation that's worth that's worth exploring about how infants remember their baptism? Or is it? That's a great question. So, um, yes. Uh, what what do we do? Uh, can we put it even a sharper way? what if infants can't remember their baptism? What if infants can't remember their baptism, right? That's a, is that still asking the same question? Yeah, yeah right. So, the, hey, thanks for helping. There you go. Um, uh, let me take one. <clears throat> From the early church, it's indisputable that infants were baptized, and so I'm giving you a couple of early sources. Uh, but you don't just sort of rely on the sources. You just say, well, that's the thing that was done there. Um, in one sense, it's kind of happy if infants don't remember their baptism. So take Johann. He was baptized, you know, a few months back. And uh, he probably doesn't remember how cold the water was or that it was middle of COVID and everybody wasn't there. He probably doesn't remember anything about that. But his mother will say to him someday, oh, yes, you were baptized. She probably has a picture, because she's a mother. And she certainly has a baptismal certificate. And then there were witnesses. And in some sense, that's the way of the church. We live by what was done to us and what people tell us, right? So in one sense, if you can remember your baptism, bonus points. If you're baptized at an age when when you can remember everything that happened, fabulous. But, you know, if you can't remember it, Uh, It doesn't depend on your memory. It depends that Jesus did it to you, right? Uh, You can argue all day long with people about whether or not uh, the church baptized babies. Uh, Here's a couple of spots. So Hippolytus already uh, in the 200s is saying um, they were taken by the deacon into the water, infants for whom their parents spoke, and children first. So you see that very common now. We say... You know, do you desire to be baptized? And the parent's answer or the sponsor's answer rather than the baby, right? The baby can't talk. But we say what he'd say if he knew what was going on. Or origin there. The custom of infant baptism was taken to be of apostolic origin. So now you remember, Jesus dies in 30. Peter and Paul die in early 60s, 63, 64. They already have uh, the next group of people who ascend in charge of the churches Linus in Rome for example Um, Origen is writing a history Uh, Irenaeus was a disciple of St. John right? And so you have into the second century into the hundreds you have people who uh, perhaps didn't see Jesus but you have people in the early hundreds who studied with with the disciples and with Paul so you have very early attestation this is what we do this is what Christians do. Well, you have this from Cyprian, right? Uh, it'd been the custom in some parts of the church to baptize on the eighth day, but Cyprian said that was too long, right? So my twins were born on a Friday, and it was a time when their health insurance was all weird, and like they said to my wife, Ah, you happen to come in just before midnight, so you'll have to leave. Like, so she just had two, two babies, right? We're like, have to, we're like, you can stay, but it's, it's Friday after 5, and insurance is closed, and you know it'll be on you for $6,000 a day if uh, you know, your insurance doesn't come through. So we went home, and then we baptized the babies on Sunday, which everybody in my congregation and most of my extended family think is crazy. But I'm like, if you can't be in the hospital, you should be in the font, right? That's how it should work. I still hold this opinion, although it's discussed at every holiday in my family. So there you go. <laughs> um, you also might not, uh, maybe you don't know, or maybe this will help you in thinking about your uh, fate being tied to Jesus. Okay, think back now. Um, what day was Adam created? Do you remember? In creation, anybody remember what day Adam was created? Sixth day, nice. And then what happened on the next day, on the seventh day? The rest. So Adam on the sixth, and rest on the seventh, right? Now you remember that Romans tells us that Jesus is the second Adam. Uh, Now Adam went all bad. I don't know if you realize that you know Adam is created on the sixth day. And the devil's number is what? 666. Huh. That should make you think about something or another. So the devil's number is 666. Why? Because Adam broke it all, right? But Jesus, the second Adam, comes. And what happens to Jesus on the sixth day? What happens on the sixth day to Jesus? Crucified. Nice. Good Friday, the sixth day. And what happens with Jesus on the seventh day? That's right. So he's doing what humans need, do, need, and what God does. And then, of course, on the eighth day, what happens on the eighth day? Resurrection, right? In John's gospel, it talks about Jesus, it talks about Sunday being the eighth day, Jesus being resurrected on the eighth day. It's a very strong theme early on in the church. It's Augustine is, It's old news by the time Augustine gets a hold of it in the fourth century. So, and you just heard it, um, you know, people wait until the eighth day, Cyprian, but that was too long. Okay, that's fine, church practice, you can sort of do what you want. But you should know, downstairs, the room is filled with eights. Can any of you think of any? Have you been counting? Everything, there's so many things happening in that room, um, you know, sometime we should walk through. But what, 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 can you think of any eights downstairs? Zeller, you're a ringer. But there, are eight bursts out from the font. there are eight bursts coming out from the font. So let's, well, we need to deconstruct the font just a little bit. Um, tomorrow when you go into the font, take a look at the font. So the font is round, right? Why is it round? Symbol of eternity, no beginning, no end. So whatever you're gonna get in the font is gonna last forever, right? Below the font, there is a grate. How many sides on the grate? Six. six, because six is Adam's number. It's also the number of sin. It's also the number of things that are being washed away there, right? So there are six sides on the grate. So you have eternity, and you have Adam, and you have sin, And then you have uh, a couple of circles of different kinds. But um, among them are a circle like this. What color is that circle? Anybody know? Red. And then what color is the circle around the eight-sided altar platform? Red. Same stone. Tomorrow, look at it when the sermon gets boring just spend some time thinking about this okay and you'll so that means that what's what's given in the font is nourished at the altar you'll also look down and there's some white stones anybody ever looked down there's a white stone there's one like this and then there's three like that right and of course that's four one god three persons right And then, as Mr. Zeller said, there are eight births. Because, of course, uh, you get baptized, your baptism is your eighth day, even if it's not on the eighth day. And so you have these uh, beautiful bits, uh, these beautiful births that come out. The guy who put the floor in had been a orchestra conductor in Romania, came to America, couldn't get work, retrained as a stonemason, he laid that stone like he was conducting an orchestra. It was the most beautiful, reverent thing to watch, piece by piece. Every one of those pieces is hand-cut, hand-laid. You kind of go, hmm, right? So that's what happens to you. And every time when you go in, this is why you people, somebody said to me yesterday, a visitor at the wedding said, "Why why does everybody slide their finger across the water? Like yeah, because they're playing in it. So here's the rules. This is how we can always find new people So new people bring their kids and what do their kids want to do? Touch the water, right? So new people always go don't touch the water Old people go touch the water, but don't hug it, right? <laughs> if you hug it You need a change of clothes if you touch it And so if kids get up in the middle of the service and play in the water doesn't bother us a bit. In fact, if they hug it, it doesn't bother us because we don't have an extra change of clothes for them. That's on you. Your kids can do whatever you want in the service, but it's meant to be touched. It's meant to be tactile. It's meant to draw you to touch the water, make the sign of the cross, and remember your baptism. Right? That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to encourage you that you wear the name of Jesus, that you belong to Christ. You've been tattooed. You have a sacramentum. You belong to the church. Still doing okay? Have you heard all this before? Maybe you have. I just told her another one of my questions is yeah. Oh, okay, good. What was the question? Which one? It's about the fact. Why people touch it. it? Yeah, touch it. Yeah, right. Eight years of Lutheran grade school and four years of Lutheran high school. I didn't hear that. I know. Hey, all I can do is pray for the Lutherans. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, part it, we can't be too hard on them. I mean, there's always more things to learn, right? But Everything in there means something. Um, In fact, we'll take just a small detour here just to kind of go on with what else is happening there. I don't know if you've noticed this, but... um, just figure time. I don't know if you know this, but every liturgy is the story of the road to Emmaus. Do you know this? Anybody remember? Do we have to read it? Or can somebody kind of tell the story of Emmaus? Anybody, Anybody remember the story? Not you, Pastor Kendall. You're a ringer. <laughs> so, what happens in the story to Emmaus? And Jesus has just died. Jesus has just died. Good. Thanks for starting there. That's good. So, Jesus has just died, right? And good. Two of, his possible, or two of his disciples were walking. The road. They're walking on the road. Good. And uh, this guy joins them. This guy joins them. That's right. So he joins them. You know, somewhere here. What's going on? Yep. What's happening? Exactly. Are you stupid? You shouldn't be. Yeah. Have you been under a rock? Good. That's what he says. Have you been under a rock? This is the biggest news in Jerusalem. What's the big news? Dead. this guy that was supposed to save us, this Rishonor of Israel, was supposed to save us, and he's dead. Good. And what's that guy's name? Do you remember? Cleopas. Nice! Extra credit. And this morning in my devotions, this is a true story, because it's a uh, Saturday, it was the story of people standing at the bottom of the cross, Mary, Mary, gosh, that's horrible, like a little kid, Mary Magdalene, and then who was the other Mary at the cross Do you remember? It was Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the wife of Clopas. Oh. So it's possible could be an alternate spelling. It's possible that Jesus is talking to his um, to his uncle. Right? So have that right? Yeah. But he he says, you know, I'm, you know, what's your name, right? So you kind of go and like so Jesus has was die, he died, just was beaten to a pulp. Now he's resurrected and Even his relatives don't recognize him. You remember this is going to happen again when Mary Magdalene sees him in the garden. I thought you were the gardener, right? And then when the disciples see him on the beach, they're kind of like, it looks, but, you know, right? Which tells you something about your own resurrection. Right, okay, so, um, and so now what happens? Now, so he meets them, Jesus comes to them. You know, Jesus came to them on the mountain that he appointed. Jesus came to the font that he instituted. Jesus met them, and then what does Jesus do? He uh, opens the scriptures to them. Good, so he, he brings them along on the way, and, you know, he opens the scriptures to them, you know, like a lectern in a pulpit. Okay, so he walks them along, and he opens the scriptures to them. Good. And then they get to the house, and he's like, I'm keep going. Why don't you stay for a meal? He pretended. He gave him a head fake. It was like his best LeBron. He was like this way, and then broke his ankle it was it was beautiful right okay so uh, and he says hey why don't we stay and then what happens yeah nice so he takes and breaks and blesses and gives the classic elements of a Lord's Supper he takes and breaks and blesses and gives and when they did that he was known to go ahead okay. And then they said, wow, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Fascinating. So the one who opened the scriptures made their hearts burn inside them, uh, turned them into little Christians, gave them something to do. Do you know that the altar is the same ratio as the altar in the tabernacle? Now, it's the same size. We couldn't size it that way. It's just a little bit too big, but the ratio is exactly the same. So, another thing that means something. Sometimes people go, Why is there a square altar? In fact, one person said to me once, God doesn't like square altars. I'm like, Hold on now, right? The altar the, the ratio is exactly the same. Yeah, so this is you with Jesus. Jesus comes to you in the font, and Jesus walks with you, and then he explains to you what's happening. And then he takes and breaks and blesses and gives. And when that happens to you, your eyes are open. So this year at Easter, when you read the Emmaus story, you should say, ah, that's my story. Just like you read Noah's Ark, you go, ah, my story. And, you know, three men in the fiery furnace, that's my story. Those are all your stories because uh, you got baptized. And that happened right there. All right, how you doing? You still okay? Questions about anything at all? See, part of the reason I gave you that piece of paper, that prompt piece of paper, is because what normally happens is I um, go home and then I have 10 emails. So I was trying to get you to be brave enough to ask. Now, G, thank you very much, and then I'll come behind, thanks, David. Question, G? Yeah, since we're digressing. Yes. Can just explain the forehead problem? Yeah, I can. Actually, second time this week I got that question, good. Uh, The four heads are the four evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They first appear in Ezekiel. They reappear in Revelation. They've been interpreted in the church as Matthew, the winged man. Kind of linear thinking. A nice explanation for Jewish folks who have some background. And isn't this beautiful and heavenly, right? Mark who, as you heard from Dr. Byans, says immediately 74 times in a gospel so short that it doesn't have a Christmas story. So the urgency, which, and so the face of the lion, right? Because he's this ferocious urgency to get the story told. Then Luke, kind of the lunchbox Chicago working man's gospel. Nobody knows anything. This is for Gentiles. So he's the ox or the bull, the ox, right? So the back has the horns. And then uh, St. John's Gospel, which is unlike any of the others, and because it's written later, last, and it's quite theological. So it's not so much about the names and dates and facts and places as it is about this is what's going on. And it's written in a Jewish way that it goes around and around. And frankly, if you look at Revelation, which John also wrote, that goes in a spiral too. So the way that you might read the Psalms and they say, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, praise the name of the Lord. Like they just said that. Why'd they say? Because that's how things are reinforced. That's how things are retold. And so you have this, John just keeps coming back around to the same story. So Jesus is the word, and now he's the bread that dropped down from heaven. That's the same story. And then Jesus is um, you know, truth. That's the same story, right? And then Jesus uh, is re- resurrected, and that's the same story, right? So John sort of, it's kind of this higher level theological thing. So the early church took the four images in Ezekiel and the four images in re- and they saw in those things Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's a, a, an ancient, ancient way of understanding the Gospels. Those things were modeled on the cathedral in chart, the lectern, the pulpit, and the chairs were all sort of Um, We stole things from all over the world in there. But, uh, see, the hard thing was, is we didn't have Sternad back then. Now, Sternad can take anything and make it beautiful, but we didn't know him then. He was, like, still in diapers at this point, right? So we were, instead, we stole things. For example, um, the burst in the font and the altar platform are both cupolas from Rome. One of them Michelangelo worked on. And we had one, it was three-dimensional, of course, we had him flatten it, and the other one, we just had him squish it. Why? Because we're cowards. And it's easier to steal great work than to try to think you're really smart, right? Among the other digressions. And you should also know that the stone, Jesus walked on that stone. That's from one of three quarries where you could still buy stone in Jerusalem. So that stone actually came from Jerusalem. In pallets, it looked like Raiders of the Lost Ark. All this Hebrew writing on it, and it was like the day it arrived, it was kind of like, ugh right? So if you get bored, look for the fossils. You can find fossils. Yes, you can. That's exactly right. Praise God for creation. Okay. So, God, uh, Jesus' story is your story. So you get baptized, you get the name of God on you, you belong to God, you're cemented to Christ, you're put on the way, it's like Emmaus, and forward you go into your life and it is the overriding factor about you. Uh, if someone asks you, you know, you know, the best day of your life, you'd say the day I was baptized, right? So um, I don't know how much resistance you have to that or if that's what you learned or, or that's what you were taught, but there it is in the text. Um, this story is your story. And when the name of God is on you, you belong to God. You're God's child. That's what it means. There was another question this way. David? Somebody? Yes. Yes, so... Um, okay, so I'm wondering... The, the Great Commission, you mentioned the teaching along with baptism. And I see that consistently, like, in the fasting period. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So the talks about that a little bit. Nice. So I'm wondering how that's consistent with infant baptism. Nice. And then also, I think the other piece of that would be... The question of what happens to unbaptized in infants and how that relates. Yeah, good. Um, so two things. I'm just repeating this because it goes on the tape for people in here. So first, a very nice question of what you do with infants in terms of baptism and teaching, right? So like all things, we, um, we give people the gifts that can be received at the particular time, right? So if you have skin, you're fit for baptism, right? So named, name and water to skin, that's what it takes for baptism. And then, uh, we teach as soon as we can after. So, for example, I can tell you downstairs, you know, your kid and your kid, Val down there singing, Jesus Loves Me to them. And I'm not kidding you, there are often grandparents come to me and kids haven't been baptized, and I'm like, like, they're like what do we do? I'm like, pray for them and actually teach them to sing, Jesus Loves Me. right?" So age appropriately... Right, And so, you know, Pastor Nelson is a genius with little kids. I mean, you should just, if you just want to see, you know, miracle in action, go watch him take care of kids who are, who are four and six and eight. It's the most amazing thing. You know, if you see Pastor talk, teach about, you know, baptism with his inflatable sumo suit and his pool and <laughs> flippers and do it in a belly flop, you'll see why kids come back to church, right? I mean, he's one like no other. So, yeah, I mean, age-appropriate, so, and even this, but here's the confession from a good Lutheran right over there. That guy's a good Lutheran. But, and I said this last week, most people go through life, and this is the sinful part, with an eighth-grade understanding of theology, or twelfth-grade, at best, understanding. You know, I went to Catholic high school, I went to Lutheran high school. Okay, there's no other venue in your, in your life where you said, I learned everything I needed to know about arithmetic, or French, or electricity, or physics, in the eighth grade. And if you try to go through the world with an eighth grade education, it's kind of like you're just disadvantaged. The world doesn't open up to you, right? So we do bits and bits. So, you know, you have Sunday school for kids and you have confirmation where they get a big bit and then you do this and then you come to church every week and you read the margin comments and, you know, so close enough or more? Is that okay? So you just keep teaching. You just, you just keep going, right? So my job is to teach, your job is to show up. And then at some point, your job will be to teach, too, because, you know, for example, the Sunday school is filled with people who are, you know, teaching little kids. So this thing. Now, unbaptized children. That's um, a harder and less hard question. So we'll take the easy side first, right? Um, occasionally, children die before they come to baptism. Uh, you know... Um, what do we say, you know, about Christian families? Um, when people say, well, what a shame, that child is lost. They've forgotten that God's heart is mercy. Right? So what God is very interested in is having all his children home again. And baptism is the thing you do when life proceeds normally. Normally. So you get married, you have a baby, you count eight days, you come to the font, you put the name on the child, and you live happily ever after. Um, People miscarry children. Children die, you know, at birth, or sometimes are are horribly distressed, right? That child goes to heaven because God knows what you would have done. It's terribly, terribly important to say that to Christian families who take... Being pregnant and having a child seriously, it's terribly important to say that. God is merciful. He wants all the children home again. He knows what you would have done. Those children, if you will, from the moment they're conceived, belong to this community, right? They belong to us, but first they belong to Christ. So it's terribly, terribly important to bring hope to people in a difficult circumstance. And as I often say to parents, Jesus is very good with children. You know, you'll wait another, you know, 50, 60 years, and then you'll meet all the children you never met. Right? And for that, heaven will be a richer place. Uh, beyond that, well, next week we're going to play You Be Me. So, uh, you know, we'll come back and play You Be Me, which is, you know, we'll work some things out. But beyond that, one should be extraordinarily careful. Um, what we should say is that the Lord has given us a way to be saved, or a way to be blessed, or a way to be included, the way to be adopted, right? Um, and, and this is the basic notion of sinfulness, when we choose our own way, so the first thing we did, there are two ways, right? The way of life and the way of not life, the way of death. Uh, when we choose our own way, anything then uh, is subject to wobble and disappointment, and worse, right? So um, I gave the example last week of people baptizing in the name of Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, the attributes of God, so they wouldn't have to name a masculine name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, is that a baptism? Yeah, i got no idea. I would never do it because Jesus told me exactly what to do. Uh, And if I substitute other things, yeah, I don't know what's happening. right? So um, the best thing you can say about unbaptized people is things are uncertain right? The worst thing you can say is that they're lost. The best thing you say about the whole question is why would you not baptize somebody, a child? I always run into people who are, you know, your age or a little older who are Christians but, like, aren't baptizing. To me, I'm always like, ah, you know, what's, what's cooking there? I mean, Jesus asks you to do something, you should do it, right? Just like if he asks you to be merciful or Um, forgiving or not have enemies. That's what we do. So it's a tender question, and it's important to ask it, but it's important not to be uh, fierce in answering a tender question. Because, as you know, questions are attached to real people with real hearts and real disappointments and real responsibilities. That's hard. So... Yes, Scott. I don't know if this helps at all with that, but in Matthew, when when Jesus says, "Let the children come to me," yeah, yeah, uh, and he says, "You know, the kingdom of heaven is for children such as these." Presumably, those children cannot be baptized. Maybe they probably wouldn't have been those Jews, right? Um, They'd have been circumcised the boys, but not baptized. Yeah. I don't. Kendall, can you remember? Yeah. And so. You know, I mean, Jesus says from his own mouth that, you know, children are such as these, this is what we're the human pathetic is for. Yeah, right. And I'm not feeling like any of some comfort yeah. with a, a good story right from the Bible, from Jesus' own mouth, that. I don't know if that is... Agreed. No, it's, it's quite helpful, right? I mean, we, we often think that Jesus is as unmerciful as we are, right? We can, be, we can be terribly harsh. Uh, and Jesus tries to work us out of that. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't have standards. It just means that he's far more merciful than we give him credit for. All right, anything else lying around? You've been patient for an hour, so you should go soon. But um, you can steal a Bible if you need one. Uh, we had catechisms here for you to steal as well, but perhaps you... Or, are those catechisms in that back corner there, Pastor? Okay, so we'll have to we'll have to load up for you because we we'll to. We need to talk about the catechism. We need to have you know the midterm exam next week. Uh, so we'll, you know we'll work through some. Actually, this if I ever teach at seminary, I have I have you know all these pastor and I we, we've traded all kinds of stories. Uh, you know you basically say, huh, what would you do here? So we'll we'll play a little of that, and then we'll kind of wrap-up baptism, and you realize that we've been here three Saturdays, and we've only done one sentence in, this, in the liturgy, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means this class should be done roughly in May of 2024. You're making great progress. And of course, that, you know that in the early church, that's how long the catechumen it lasted. It lasted three years. So, uh, no, it'll all, it'll all be good. Um, I'm certain we won't meet on Thanksgiving Saturday we'll see how deep we'll press into. People will always uh, are sort of say, hey, we're willing to go deep into December, but really, when December comes, you won't be willing. So, uh, you know, somewhere around the middle of December, we'll break and come back somewhere around the middle of January. But, uh, and then we'll, you know, hardcore press. To... All right, let's pray. And then if you want to hang around and chat, you can. Thank you very much for making the effort. Um, I want to try to make this as attractive as I can to you. This is really a great place. It's filled with great people. You're part of those great people, but really, really, really—I mean, this is a chance to move beyond, you know, where you've been your whole life, and and you know, to kind of let the Lord have good use of you, even better use than He's had in the past. It's a—it's a chance for, for the Lord to kind of push and pull you into ways that you maybe thought weren't possible. But that all starts with us being on the same page, and that's, um, you know, the page of Jesus being cemented to Him. So. Forever and ever, Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks, friends. Get to me if you need me. Uh, try to get Philip Zeller to college by getting your picture taken. <laughs> if he invests that now tax free. Five twenty nine. He's going to be in great shape. And then, if you need us, let us know. Thanks.